This is episode 93 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Edgar Vincent Clark. He is a past president of the Georgia Speech-Language Hearing Association. He has served in various Georgia Association offices and on several boards at the state level. He was the GASHA to ASHA liaison for the 2012 ASHA convention in Atlanta, Georgia, a past clinician of the year, a recipient of the Bob Hall Leadership Award, and in 2013 was the alumni of the year for the Dewar College of Education and Human Services at Valdosta State University, the first SLP to receive this honor. He's a recent appointee to the Georgia State Board of Examiners for SLP and AUD, and he just recently joined Carolina Speech Pathology and Altara Vision and OHD as their brand ambassador. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello there and welcome back. Just have a big announcement for everybody. We are going to be opening the doors to the MedSLP Collective on July 12th. I'm so excited to finally be opening them. Thank you, everybody who has been waiting so patiently. If you've been on the waiting list, you'll get an email right away. Um, yeah, so what is the MedSLP Collective if you are not familiar with it? Well, it was actually designed for a very specific group of medical SLPs. If you're feeling unfulfilled in your career as a medical SLP or perhaps a bit confused on how to move forward, if you're feeling completely overwhelmed, overworked, overstressed, misunderstood, underappreciated in your facility, if you feel like you're riding the therapy hamster wheel, unsure if you're even providing good care for your patients, if you are getting overwhelmed with how much medical SLP information was missing from your graduate education that you're now expected to know, maybe you're feeling a little bit angry that you received the same training as clinicians who work with kindergartners, and now you feel like you have huge gaps in what you need to know to treat these medical cases. Maybe you've been working in the field for a while. Are you feeling frustrated that there's no one single centralized source to stay up to date on all the latest research and treatments that are coming out every year? Are you even sure that you're providing the right and best, most up-to-date treatment techniques for your patients? Well, imagine if there was one place that you could go to receive all the support and resources to help you eliminate these feelings. Imagine how much time and frustration you would save if you had immediate access to one centralized location for blind peer-reviewed resources. Imagine if you had access to several clinical experts and university professors to help guide you in your clinical decision-making with personalized responses to your clinical cases. Do you think then your patients would receive higher quality care and make progress towards their goals? Do you think you would get more rewarded and recognized for this progress among your patients? Well, this is exactly why I created the Medical SLP Collective. It's a monthly membership program and vibrant community of fellow medical SLP clinicians and researchers who are supporting each other to provide better care for their patients and therefore also advance their careers. So what do you get in the collective? You get weekly done-for-you resources. So each week you'll receive a new video created to help educate you all about all areas of medical SLP, including dysphagia, aphasia, motor speech disorders, voice disorders, NICU, PEDS, and cognitive communication. 
You'll also get information on how to advocate for your patients within the organizational bureaucracies that often make you feel like your patients don't matter to the doctors and nurses. Each video also comes with a PDF handout that gives you links to all the resources and references you need to implement, and they can all be printed for convenience to take on the go. The resources never go away. The library just continues to grow. So you will always have access to all the previous videos and handouts. Also of note, all resources are blind peer reviewed. So you deserve to have confidence in knowing that the materials you are using for your patients are the latest evidence-based and designed to save you from weeding through all the crap. We cover aphasia, dysphagia, dysarthria, voice, cognitive communication, and NICU, just to name a few. Additionally, each month we have two-hour live webinars that are offered for ASHA CEUs, delivered by some of the most foremost clinical experts and researchers in the field, so you'll get a chance to vote on the most relevant topics to you each month. And also, if you can't attend the webinars live, that the recording is always put in our library. So if you join now or July 12th when we open, you have access to all of the previous past webinars that you can take for ASHA CEUs. And lastly, but I think most importantly, we have our private forum and Facebook group. So we have both a Facebook group and also a private forum that has its own app to ask all your clinical questions there. We have several, I believe, 20 to 25 different clinicians and researchers that act as moderators and mentors to ensure you receive personalized guidance supported by the evidence to help treat your patients as best as you can. Many of our members in the collective say that the private forum in the Facebook group is worth the price of admission alone as you get real-life frontline in-the-trenches support from your fellow clinicians with researchers to back it up and a team of trained guides to answer your every question. So, again, medslpcollective.com. It is opening July 12th. It's a monthly membership site, so if you join us and you decide it's not for you, no biggie. We also have a seven-day money-back guarantee. So, again, if you jump in, download every single resource, watch every single webinar, and still decide you don't like it, you can get your money back. So, (laughs) I do hope that you will see the value of what it is. It's a wonderful community. I could not be more proud of how it's turned out. Yeah, I, I, I really don't have anything to say other than I love it so much and I really, truly hope you'll join us. So that will be opening on July 12th. Hello, my friend. Hi, Teresa. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm, I'm really doing well. Um, uh, everything seems uh, to be going good here in Georgia. Good. Excellent. So you've been on the podcast a million times already, but you're back again because we've got some big changes coming up in our field. Three million, you know, somewhere in there. Yes. Three million. Yes. (laughs) Previously, when I've been on on the podcast with you, I was working with uh, Integra Rehabilitation of Georgia as basically the lead for their fees program. And I, and I actually had been with them for 20 years, a great employer. I'm currently with Carolina Speech Pathology and Altera Vision. And uh, I am have assumed the, the role of brand ambassador for those organizations. So I am out spreading the good word, not only about fees in general, but about what my organizations bring to the game for endoscopy and in-house testing throughout, I believe we're in 15 states now, but then we also sell HD equipment um, throughout the United States. Awesome. 
I'd like to take a quick second to thank our wonderful sponsors, EndoHD. NDOHD is a true high-definition endoscopy system created specifically for SLPs by an SLP for conducting fee studies. EndoHD can be a case-portable system as well as a carded system, depending on your needs. Additionally, EndoHD representatives can help clinicians set up their fees program. So contact them today at www.ndohd.com forward slash contact for more information. That's www.ndohd.com forward slash contact for more information. All right. What are we going to talk about today? Well, you told me we were going to talk about PDPM. What if I change my mind? Hey, let, let's 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 come up. Throw something else at me. We'll we'll um we'll go from there. That's all right. We can, we can cover PDPM. I guess it's important. Well, I think you know. I think it's on the forefront of uh, anybody that's in skilled nursing's mind. You know, uncertainty is is certainly out there right now. As as it's going to be whenever there's a change in how we get paid and, and, and what we're used to. And, you know, this is, this is, we've been used to a PPS, the prospective payment system for 20 years now. This is actually the third payment system that I will have survived. Yeah. Survived is a great (laughs) word since I got out of school in 98. And, you know, I'm always, I'm always honest with people that, that, uh, you know, these changes in, in payment, you know, I think people kind of go into survival mode initially. I know that I lost my first job because of PPS. I, I received a call and was told, you know, not to come into work on the first, that I was the last hired, you know, first one fired in this particular organization, and that they just didn't see as much of a need for therapy as they had in the past. But within six months, you know, I was receiving almost daily phone calls of people, you know, trying to recruit me back into skilled nursing and, you know, ended up, of course, going to work for Integra and, and being with them for 20 years. So, you know, again, uncertainty, people not knowing exactly how to react. And, and I do feel like what I'm seeing that's different about the change in payer source this time is that everybody really seems to be trying to get their arms around it and to understand what's going on. At least, at least that's my perception of things. There seems to be a lot more education going on out there. And, and I also openly admit, I know you've got me, you know, I know you've got me on here to discuss PDPM. I don't claim to be, you know, an expert on PDPM, but I think I understand the basics and just because of the position I'm in and, 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 you know, kind of being out there in the public, I've been asked several times just to, you know, briefly, briefly discuss what it means for SLPs moving forward. So I try to do the best job I can with that. And like I told you before we started recording, the CMS website has done a really great job of putting together resources that I think most anybody can understand and there is also a really awesome presentation that Renee Kinder put together on speechpathology.com that I would recommend, you know, any SLP that, that really wants to delve into this to, to listen to as well. So awesome. I, will do, I will do my best, you know, answering questions. And I also, I also kind of want to point out that, you know, yes, we're talking about PDPM, but we're also in a, 
a time in history with CMS where there's kind of a lot of payment structures that are going on and being experimented with. So, you know, it's it's not just PDPM, you know, that we're dealing with home health. It's dealing with PDGM, which is their version of PDPM. We're also dealing with more bundled payment schemes where uh, certain diagnoses are receiving a set amount of money and, and then the money's being managed from the acute level forward. And then, of course, you're dealing with all the managed Medicare plans out there that, you know, in theory, they're supposed to, to provide at least the same level of coverage as traditional Medicare, but they kind of branch off and do their do their own thing as well. So, you know, it's not just that PDPM is hitting us, it's that all these different methods of payment are being experimented with, you know, for a very good reason. I mean, we are dealing with the largest wave of beneficiaries ever, and it's only going to increase for a while as, as the baby boomers enter into the into the system one of the statistics that sticks with me is that 10,000 new beneficiaries per day wow. enter the system you know that's a lot to that's a lot to deal with it is and i believe that that trend will continue you know for at least the next 5 to 10 years yeah crazy that that stat just kind of blew my mind yeah. But yeah, I just, I want to go back a little bit. So PDPM stands for patient driven payment model in case people aren't sure what it is. It is just hitting skilled nursing facilities, but it's obviously going to have a trickle down effect or an impact on basically all settings. So I think that's why everyone's kind of wondering how it's going to fit into their puzzle piece. But, you know, I mean, of course I could have probably gotten somebody from Medicare or ASH or somebody to come talk to talk to us about this, but I really wanted you to come talk about this because I think we as SLPs, we need someone to kind of put it into our language. And I think like I've read, you know, some stuff on the CMS website. I've listened to other kind of Medicare people talk about it and I'm left with just alphabet soup. Like I have no idea how it's going to impact us. So that's why I wanted you to talk about it. Cause I think you'd do a really good job of kind of paring it down to what, how it's going to hit home for us. Well, I mean, I mean, why would you want confidence when you could have me? You know, right, right, one hundred percent. Oh my god! No, I, I, you know, I, to, I, to, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. That you know, the way I approach it is, I want you to just spoon feed it to me, Vince. I don't want to have to figure it out myself. Well, I've absorbed, <laughs> I've, I've absorbed as much of this, you know, information as I as as I can. I'm still trying to read whenever you know everything you know comes out. You know, part of my job and what I do is explaining to customers why it's important to, you know, continue using visualizations and instrumentation, you know, along as PDPM hits, you know, the patient profile is going to be what's important. You know, it's no longer going to be based on how much of something we do even though the same criteria for what is considered skilled is in place. That is, there must be a skilled need. 
and there must be a skill being provided that meets Medicare's criteria. But ultimately, what that skill is, is no longer going to to be, you know, just a therapy thing with a little nursing thrown in. It's really going to be based on what are all the composite diagnoses of that patient. And as some of my contacts in the industry have, have made it clear to me, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be nursing driven. It's going to be driven by the MDS, the minimum data set, which is the instrument used to collect information and diagnoses on patients as they enter skilled nursing. And so our roles as therapists are, are partially going to be to help the facilities identify what these pertinent diagnoses are moving forward. So, you know, we will definitely have a role. We are, after all, the experts on cognition, communication, and swallowing in the building. You know, physical therapy and occupational therapy will also have the same role. And just to kind of back up a little bit, one of the major problems that Medicare identified with the old system, prospective payment system, was that payment was really based on how much therapy somebody was getting. Ultimately, that was the major determining factor about who got into these higher payment categories. So, so one of the, the thrust behind this new payment system has really been to capture, you know, what does the patient need? You know, is it, you know, if it's medication or, or nursing care or wound care, or if it truly is therapy, you know, so that, so that the facilities are appropriately reimbursed for what they're doing. Good facilities that are interested in providing good care are not going to cut back on therapy services. That is, that's the, the, the great thing about this system. And what seems to kind of have everybody excited is that we, we do seem to be moving where, you know, we're going to look at the patient as a whole. And if you work for someone that does the right thing now, you shouldn't see a whole lot of change in what your job looks like moving forward. Yeah. I th- and I think that's what the biggest fear is for a lot of these SLPs. And I think a lot of these buildings are kind of quick to make some rash judgments. And, you know, I know some facilities have increased their SLP staff significantly. Some have decreased it already. And I don't know that we're going to know exactly how it's going to play out. And I think we shouldn't be making these rash decisions yet. Right. I mean, I think, you know, what I'm still being told by the contacts that I have, you know, in the industry is, you know, even as they're getting a, a, a better grasp on this stuff, nobody really knows what it's going to look like until after it, till after yeah. it, till after it hits. Uh, my understanding is that Medicare has made available to the skilled nursing providers tools so that they can compare you know, past reimbursement on the old system to new reimbursement on the new system. So if you, you know, if you take an an old patient where you know exactly how much money you were reimbursed and then you run it through the new tool, you're able to compare, you know, what the, what the financial outcomes for those patients look like. And my understanding is that it's been pretty favorable that, that that a lot of facilities that weren't winners on the old system or now winners in the new system. And it has a lot to do with being able to, to provide 
appropriate care for really sick patients. Yeah. You know, you know, being able to take in people with that need dialysis that you know have HIV that are that are very sick individuals that have a lot of higher costs. And now because of being able to appropriately profile those patients and receive payment for those type of diagnoses, they are financially doing better. So they can then afford to also provide them the PT, OT, and SLP services that they need. Gotcha. I pulled up that 10,000 person a day stat that I quoted to you. They're expecting that trend to continue for the next 15 years. Crazy. So... There is a there is a reason and a rationale why we have to get Medicare costs under control so that we can have it one day. Right. It, it's 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 uh, not really anybody trying to be mean or to take something away. It is it is how do you provide this type of health care for the sixty five plus population and not go broke doing it. Yeah. So do you think these other? Do you think like the managed care and the other? you know, payment models, are they going to kind of follow suit with this? So the, so yes, I mean, I, I think, I think they will, you know, the, the bundled, I've, I've heard mixed stuff about the bundled payment and if, yeah. and, and, and just to give a kind of a more detailed explanation of what, of what that is, say you, I think one of the diagnoses and I may be off about this, but in theory, you'll get it. Say you had a hip replacement done. So in the old days, you'd have a hip replacement done and you'd lay in the hospital for two or three days and the PT would come in and, you know, they'd start you on your physical therapy in the hospital and uh, then you would transfer to a skilled nursing facility and you'd maybe do rehab, you know, there for a couple of weeks and then you would leave the skilled nursing facility and you would go home and maybe you'd have a week of home health. And in the end, you know, possibly you'd get a couple of weeks of outpatient therapy as well. What's happening is people are getting hip replacements and they're immediately going home now. And so they are immediately going home. They may receive a short amount of home health rehabilitation, and then they are going to the outpatient clinic. I have a physical therapy friend that just started his own business and he has swapped with people that are straight from the hospital to outpatient. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's because of the new bundled payment scheme. So yeah. what does that mean? What does that mean for us? You know, maybe there are, you know, I don't, I don't know the, I don't have any stats on this. I'm just speculating, you know, maybe there are patients out there that have some cognitive def- deficits that are getting missed. Maybe there are some patients out there that, you know, had an intubation injury or an extubation injury and, and they're getting missed or for some reason they have a, a post-surgery swallowing problem that is not being seen and they're getting missed. I don't know that to be true. I'm just speculating. But I think those are the kind of things as we as that model progresses and they pull data on it, they're going to see, they'll be able to tell who is successful and who is not. And what they're really trying to avoid in all of these cases are the bounce backs back and forth to the hospital. That's where patient care becomes, you know, really expensive. Yeah. And, and I know with my old employer as far back as four or five years ago, they were already making partnerships with 
local hospitals and with physicians groups that were doing surgeries. So the new model is, Hey, you're going to do surgery and then you trust us to use the money that you've been given to do this, this surgery and rehab to bring them into our facility. And here's our model for getting them better in a week or two weeks. So those are the kind of partnerships that are going on. And my understanding is that CMS and Medicare, they are really encouraging there to be a potential for losing and winning on both sides. So everybody's got skin in the game. You don't just get a big bundle of money. And if the patient fails, you know, la-di-da, you know, now if the patient fails and you get a big bundle of money, somebody's probably going to come back and want that money back and possibly even more. Yeah. You know, hospitals are looking at, you know, why are they ending back up in our facility post discharge? You know, is it something that we did? Is it something the skilled nursing facility did or didn't do and who is going to be responsible for that, for that cost. That's going to be a reality for people that are accessing their Medicare benefits, you know, whether it's traditional part a or one of these advantage plans. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for all that. Yeah. I I do. I do actually, actually do think it's pretty awesome that, that, you know, people are held accountable. Yeah you know, for what we're doing. Yeah. It, it kind of, you know, as a taxpayer, we should both appreciate what we are trying to do. We, as healthcare providers, both of us, you know, we should appreciate trying to be as efficient as possible and moving our patients through the system as efficiently and quickly as possible and getting good results. Yeah. Who, who wants to who wants to hang out in a hospital and outpatient clinic all the time? You know, no thanks. Yeah. Our patients want to go get their surgeries done. You know, they want to you know get their rehab done and go home and get on with their lives. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So let's talk a little more about speech pathology specifically. Sure. So I know there's a lot of talk out there about you know SLPs freaking out about how they're assessing cognition with the BIMS, I guess, is what's going to be used. Do you have anything to say about that? Well, like you say, the the BIMS is going to be the tool that is that is used, and, and, and it may not necessarily be given by an SLP, even though we can have input. My understanding is the way it reads, basically by any employee, you know, anybody in the facility that works for the skilled, skilled nursing facility can give that, but it will probably fall on like social services or nursing, you know, to do it is, is, is what I'm thinking. The SLP components will look at 12 case mix groups. Only two factors are used to classify patients into an SLP case mix group. The presence of an acute neurological condition, SLP related comorbidity, or presence of cognitive impairment. Again, like we were just discussing, using the MDS Section C, the BIM score, or a staff assessment. So if you have a patient that can't participate in the BIMs, they're just kind of, they're going to get a staff assessment of, you know, where they are cognitively. And then they will also look at mechanically altered diets or swallowing disorders using the MDS Section K, you know, where they fall 
either they have a mechanical altered alter dot or they don't. And then, you know, looking at whether or not they have a swallowing disorder, that's what's going to give us the scores for speech. Where does the two-factor information come from? An acute neurological condition or SLP-related comorbidity is going to be determined by MDS Section 1. The MDS is going to reflect the patient's cognitive abilities within the first seven-day window. And then if the patient can participate, like I just said, a BIMS will be completed, usually by social services. It's a brief interview of mental status. If the patient is unable to participate in the BIMS, the staff assessment is performed, and then the answers are coded accordingly. And and those are what is going to be used to to determine our our payment day to day. Yeah. Now PT and OT, they have a component where they will adjust down after a certain period of time. The good thing about SLP is that we do not have that component added into into our payment. The reason that is there is is that apparently when going back and looking at at payment data and how things were generated for payment over the past 20 years, PT and OT kind of have this bell-shaped curve where a lot of activity goes on right at first, and then it kind of drops off over time. And speech tends to come in on a patient and remain steady throughout the stay. So that is where they determined, you know, how this drop-off should occur over time. I always like to to remind people that you know all this all this data that is collected and crunched. I mean, we live in a big data world, and so this whole you know this this whole plan has been based on what Medicare has seen, both good and bad, for the past twenty years. I tell people that that this system exists you know, probably for the same reason that, you know, I can go to New York and use my credit card up there and nobody calls the police on me and and says, hey, somebody stole Vince's credit card. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, this, what has been explained to me is that the same algorithms used for tracking uh, fraud and credit card use also apply to tracking fraud and use in our healthcare system, in Medicare payment, so Medicare has learned what what appropriate patterns look like, and then also what patterns of abuse and fraud look like over time. And they've they've tried to construct a system that you know maximizes the benefit while trying to persuade people not to not to do things that are inappropriate at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Did that make sense? Did that make sense? Yes, completely. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think it's just what's hard is I think a lot of SLPs are getting kind of hurt over, you know, that social work is now the, or, you know, it it can be anybody, but in some facilities are saying it's social work that is the one administering these tests in the beginning and how many people are going to fall through the cracks? Are we needed? You know, all that. Well, they should, they shouldn't view the BIMS as a, as a test. The BIMS, yeah. is, the BIMS is simply a screen. And, you know, like I tell anybody about screens, screens should be able to be given by any healthcare, you know, professional, you know, just like we do swallowing screens in acute care. It should not always take the skill of an SLP to 
to provide those screens. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't have, have input facilities that are preparing appropriately for PDPM, they will be including SLPs in the decision-making process, you know, since we are, in theory, the experts in cognition in, in that facility at the time. So I, 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 don't think, I don't think people should be overly concerned, Good. you know, about that, that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. There, no one's going to be, a, nobody's going to be out there given, you know, a two hour, yeah. not, you know, a two hour cognition test to the patient. Yeah. It is, it yeah. is simply those items, you know, on the NDS. Okay. All right. So how do you think this seven day window thing is going to play out? It sounds like we kind of need to get our ducks in a row, you know, as far as administering the step, these tests, as far as getting, you know, a instrumental swallowing evaluation done it sounds like we're going to have to get all these things done yes and you know i know people are you know concerned about packing everything in you know the criteria for deciding that someone has a swallowing problem may not require testing to occur you know that quick necessarily i think we should always think in terms of what is clinically appropriate you know why would we get those tests anyway we can't treat without them you know i mean if, if if there's any one thing that runs through you know all of your podcasts when we talk about swallowing disorders it's that you know we're doing testing so that we can treat appropriately and so that we're not wasting time and money for these patients for instance, I think one of the things that'll trigger, you know, a swallowing disorder classification or a dysphagia classification is, is, is if the patient simply tells the nurse, I have pain when I swallow. Okay. I mean, yeah. boom. All right. They're classified as having a swallowing problem. Do we need to get the testing in? Yes. One of the things that Medicare says is that they are going to be particularly interested in in those patterns where it looks like all of a sudden a lot more people are on an altered diet or a lot more people are getting this dysphagia diagnosis. You know, if they see those kinds of inappropriate patterns, they're going to come, you know, knocking on doors and asking why that's where, that's where getting a fees or a modified, you know, comes in. That's where being able to say, Hey, look, you know, a, a picture says a thousand words. You know, it, it's right here. Here's your report. This is what we're treating. These are our goals. This is our expectation. I, I think it's only going to become more important. The other side of, of this that SLPs have really got to consider is we have been in a system where doing more for longer was financially beneficial. That is no longer true. So the push to do more for longer is going to to reverse. And you're going to have employers asking, can you do less? Because we want to keep as much of this amount that we that we've got coming in. You know, what yeah. does your patient really need? You you've got to be able to justify that to your employer. Again, and, and I really didn't, I honestly did not think of it, you know, as I was going through notes to prepare to talking to talking to you today, you know, it struck me, not every patient needs five days a week. Right. You know, 
But what is the standard in for a Part A patient now? Six days a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much everybody's yeah. getting, you know, you know, as much therapy as possible. You don't want to miss a day. You may get out of a category. That type of pressure is going to, to subside. And so you may be able to more rationally look at a patient and clinically say, because of all these comorbidities and diagnoses going on with this particular patient, six days a week of therapy is inappropriate for them. 70 minutes of therapy a day is inappropriate for them. It's going to do more harm than it's going to do good. I would recommend that this patient start with three times a week, 15 minute sessions. And then we'll, then we'll look at increasing it next week. Yeah. You know, and I'm, and I'm just, you know, shooting off scenarios here, but I think that all of us are kind of like, you know, so PTSD from, you know, part, part, part A, yeah. you know, that it's going to be hard to wrap around, you know, wrap our heads around being able to really look at clinically what is appropriate, you know, for these patients. Yeah. Yeah. What is their true pathway to, to successfully leaving? Yeah. I think this is where programs like MDTP and things like that are going to come in huge, you know, three-week protocols that get the patient in and out treated. You know, I mean, no more just sitting watching soap operas doing tongue-wagging exercises for 50 minutes a day. You know, it's it's we've got to get much more meaningful and structured with what we're doing. Well, you know, exactly. And, and it's also, there's also, you know, opportunities for, you know, doing appropriate objective measures. You know, we, that is one thing that Medicare is looking for, not just an opinion about, you know, how the patient is doing, but an objective measure, a voice scale, a E10, not just a fees, but a fees that also has the penetration aspiration scale built into it or a reflux finding scale built into it or a secretion management scale built into it. Those are the opportunities that are, are going to be out there for proving our worth as SLPs. You know, it's, it's actually kind of exciting to me because I do know that we make a difference as a profession. Yeah. You know, you know, those of us that have, you know, been fortunate enough to, to work for organizations that want us to do the right thing have, have, have kind of known this for years. Those that have been pushing 720 minutes for a hundred days, you know, no matter what condition you're in, they're going to figure it out or they're going to fail. Yeah. So a lot of the things that the therapists have been screaming for wanting to change, they are changing come October 1st. Yeah. You know, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Right. I wish it was all about the patient. Well, now it is. Here you go. It is. There you go. Yeah. Now it's now, now everybody's freaking out because it's all about the patient. Right. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really think that ultimately the change is not going to be a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, even professionally for us. So I think it's, I think, I think that we will eventually look fondly back on this change and how healthcare is provided. Good. I'm being an optimist. I mean, I see good things. I know. I'm I'm optimistic about it, too. I like everything I've seen. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of fear mongers out there that are like, it's going to kill our profession. And 
I don't really think it's going to, but I think you also need to do your part and show your worth. I tell people all the time that cognitive impairment and communication impairment and swallowing impairment, it's not going to go anywhere. Right. It's going to be just as prevalent. Right. So, you know, what, what clinicians have to remember is these facilities are going to be under intense scrutiny for what their outcomes look like. And if you're in a facility where, you know, patients are admitted and they never regain the communication status because SLP services are being underprovided or they're constantly bouncing in and out with pneumonias or respiratory failures because their swallowing is not being appropriately addressed. Those are going to ultimately be the buildings that don't get referrals from hospitals. Right. Okay. So their impetus is to provide the appropriate care. You know, it's just like saying, Hey, I know what we'll save money by not giving anybody antibiotics. Yes. You may save some money up front, (laughs) but eventually it's going to come back and come back and bite you. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's actually a good way to look at, to look at ourselves as a profession is, you know, as if we were a medication, what's the appropriate dose? What's the appropriate course yep. should should be getting? And I think if you if you view us in that light, that it makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Makes sense. I think you want to get the best drug going possible too. You don't just want to take Tylenol all day every day. That's right. Yeah. These skilled nursing facilities that are doing the right thing. And I don't know, this This was interesting to me yesterday. I, I try to keep up with the industry, and, and I don't know if you heard about this, but apparently there was a list leaked. Of, yes. Did you, did you hear about this? Well, I was surprised because I serviced three of those buildings, and they're, like, nice buildings. Like, I, I was shocked. Right. So, well, yeah. Um, I don't know. So, but you, but you don't know, you know, right. what triggered that. I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know, maybe you're looking at a beautiful building that, that in order to save money, you know, continuously understaffs nurses. Right. Right. We we don't know what's causing those triggers, but, um, but what we're talking about, just so your listeners will know is, you know, this, this list was leaked that, that basically outlined, I think it was 455 skilled nursing facilities you know, throughout the United States that is is about to be under special scrutiny because of not meeting certain care criteria. So, yep. I mean, I've, I'm in no way wishing bad things on, on skilled nursing providers, but, you know, I'll, they need to do the right, you know, do the right things for right, your patients, right, you, know, right, whatever, you right. know, whatever that may be, do the right things for your patients. And that includes providing appropriate amounts of PTOT and SLP services. Right. I think I've kind of, I think I've drilled that point home. I think so. I think so. I think what I just want so badly from all this is just for it to be a wake up call for SLPs to be just doing just evidence-based therapy. You know, I think, right. I think we're going to be even under even more of a microscope now about, like you said, about, you know, protocols that we're doing and how long we're keeping people on caseload and things like that. And we need to just be doing the best exercises we can Get I mean, the biggest bang for our buck, and for yeah. for those for those SLPs that we you know still see online that are saying, "Oh, I can't get a modified," or "Oh, I can't get somebody to agree for fees to come in my building." 
listen to this podcast, you know, go to the CMS website, read that information, take it to your administrator and say, you can't afford not to have this stuff coming in. Right. You can't right. afford, you can't afford to have, you know, not have in-house fees being provided or the mobile truck to come or us to send these people out. We've got to think of a solution right. to this problem. Adversity breeds opportunity. And and so here's the adversity. Look for your opportunity. That was so deep, Vince. Thank you. That was beautiful. <laughs> you get a slow clap for that one. <laughs> All right. Well, it's good. What else? Anything else you want to cover? Gosh, this has been a great talk. I didn't really say anything. You blabbed on for 40 minutes all by yourself. I tend to do that at times. It's okay. Any, let's see, I'm trying to think if there's anything of any relevance. I wish I, I wish I was more informed about, you know, if, if I had a suggestion for you, it would maybe get somebody on that's familiar with the home health. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. EGM, you know, it's a very similar situation to what we're dealing with. It's going to be based on, you know, patient need. You know, I've been told that, the you know, some of the same things apply. If you were doing what was appropriate for your patient before, then a, a lot may not change for you as a, as a provider. If you weren't, then you may see that, that there's some negative financial consequences or, you know, you know, whatever. Yeah. So that would, that may be an interesting person to get on to talk to, to your listeners. Okay. I think we covered it all. Not because it isn't relevant, not because I'm sure there's not something out there, but I kind of came programmed for PDPM today. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was good. I think we now understand a little bit more about where we're going. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I will get, you know, the links to the Medicare site to you. Okay. And put them in the show notes. And put them in the show notes. And that should supply everybody with all the all the information for those of you that are out there, you know, listening, if your employer has not talked to you about this stuff yet, you need, you need to approach them. You know, what's yeah. going on? What are your thoughts? Because any, anybody out there, whether they're a, a rehab provider that is a servicing a facility or whether you work directly for a facility, they, they should have started thinking about this stuff a year ago. Yeah. I think what I keep reading is like, you know, people saying, you know, my boss told us come October, there's going to be no need for speech anymore. <laughs> and I just don't know like how to tell them that's probably furthest from the truth. I mean, their boss may believe that. Yeah. It's probably going to throw up a huge red flag if nobody's getting <laughs> getting the speech anymore. Again, the analogy that I can give you is it is like saying, you know, oh, I know how we can save money. Let's just do away with wheelchairs. No, that'll do it. That'll do it. Figure it out on your own. Crawl to the dining room. Yep. You know, we're not going to buy wheelchairs anymore. That's how we'll save money. You know, federal law says that one of the benefits of being in skilled nursing is that you receive speech-language pathology services for both communication and swallowing and cognition when they are needed, appropriate, and ordered by a physician. Okay? Yeah. There is nothing about the the standard Medicare system that is changing. You know those law, those rules, those regs. They they are just as in place today, and will be October first as they were in 1987 when they were put into effect. 
So if, if you, if you've got a facility telling you, we're not going to use speech anymore, they don't understand the law They're, They will be breaking federal law by not, yeah. by not providing that service. Yeah. You know, it's just, it. it's, it's just that simple. There's no other way to, no, yeah. no other way to say it. And, and think about it. You, you take your grandmother to a facility for rehab and you know that one of her issues post-stroke is that she's she can't eat and she's aspirating. And someone tells you at the front door, we've decided not to provide speech here anymore. See ya. You're taking grandma somewhere else. Right. right. They're going to another building. They're going to go to the building that has speech. Right. And that can get her better. Right. So I think those fears are overblown. It sounds very similar. Very similar to what I was told in 1998 when I got that call literally at 1130 at night, the day before January the 1st. Oh, my God. And, and my supervisor on the phone told me, I've been told to tell you that you, you won't come to work tomorrow. We don't have a need for you anymore. And then when I went back to the facility to get my paycheck, the the administrator at that particular facility told me that she called me when she needed me. I'll never forget what she said. I'll call you when I need you, therapist, or a dime a dozen. Yep. And again, within six months, I had all the work I wanted. And I've had all the work I wanted for 20 years as an SLP. Yeah. Awesome. So everybody relax. Everybody calm down. Give it a while to settle. Let everybody get their bearings. Let Medicare, you know, start collecting data. And I think that you'll see that everything will be, will be just fine. Just fine. Just fine. Beautiful. Anything else? I think that's good. I think I think that's good. I appreciate you asking me to come on and and kind of discuss it from my point of view as a yeah. as a person that has an interest in you know providing services within skilled nursing and as an SLP that's worked in skilled nursing for twenty years. I guess that counts for something. It does. Okay. It does. All right. All right. Thank you, my friend. You're very welcome. Till next time. Till next time. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on swallowyourpridepodcast.com where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills and thank you so much to all of you for listening.